Amen, amen. Good morning. It is good to be here. Um, again, I am Cyril Chavis. I'm the REF Campus Minister at Howard University. I know uh, many of you from my time here uh, in seminary and being the REF Campus Minister at Jackson State. So it is good to see you all again. It's good to be here. I was here for the Redeemer Together retreat. We had a great time. It was a lot of fun. And we um, talked about being together. So we talked about being together with humility. We talked about being together under authority. And this morning we're going to talk about being together in visibility. Being together in visibility. Uh, so turn with me to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. And also I'm, I'm here with my wife Janelle. She, she tagged along with me for this trip. So, uh, you know, and any time we, we go to Jackson, you know, I'm always like, hey, Janelle, you want to come? She's like, yes. Um, so she, she's from here. She, she grew up in Pearl. Um, but all right, turn with me to Genesis chapter 16. Again, we're talking about being together in visibility. So Genesis 16 is in between two glorious chapters where God establishes his covenant with Abraham. In Genesis uh, 15 and 17, God comes to Abram and Sarai and he gives them promises that are beautiful and grand. He's like, I will be with you and I will bless you and I'll make you a mighty people and you will bless the whole world through me. And at the center of these promises was that God would grant them a child in spite of both of their inabilities to have children. And this would happen by the miraculous power of the Spirit. So Genesis 16 is right in the middle of these two chapters, and it's a stark contrast to 15 and 17. 15 and 17 is God coming and granting glorious promises. God saying, I will do it. And Genesis 16 is Abram and Sarai saying, we will do it. <laughs> we will take the promises into our own hands. The promise was supposed to be fulfilled by the Spirit, but they said, we're going to fulfill it by the flesh. And it was a mess. And so what we see this morning is what God does in messy places. We're going to see what God does in messy places, in messy situations, in situations where we together have created a mess, right? We talk about Redeemer together. Sometimes when we're together, we create messes, amen? And so we're going to look at and see what God does in the middle of that. All right, so Genesis chapter 16, I'll read the whole chapter, I'll pray for us, and then we'll dive in. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went in to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. 
May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Roi. It stands between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar born, bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This is the word of the Lord. Would you all pray with me? Lord, thank you for this time this morning. Lord, we need you. We need you to bless us, to change us, to forgive us, to restore us, heal us, to comfort us in the midst of affliction. We need you to see us. So this morning as we've prayed, as we've sung to you, as we've had fellowship and served one another, as we have taught, Lord, I pray that you would continue to meet us as you did in, the, in all those things, even now as we open up your word for preaching. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use this moment, that you use this preaching moment to do your work. Holy Spirit, I need you to fill me. I need you to fall upon me to, in order to do that. Lord, thank you that you remember that my frame is made of dust, that I'm nothing but a man. And so, Lord, in my weakness, in my frailty, in my fear and trembling, Lord, I pray that you would be displayed as powerful, as grand, as amazing. I pray that you would give me conviction and boldness, humility, love, compassion. Lord, would you forgive my sins, that my conscience might be washed clean from dead works to serve the living God. Lord, I pray that you move in this place, that your spirit would uh, move among your hearers. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open the hearts of your hearers, that they might receive your word. They, they might not only receive it, but love it, cherish it, delight in it, savor it. And Lord, it would go deep, changing their inner beings. 
And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't leave here the same people. Lord, we want to be different. Lord, we desperately want to be different. Whether or not we feel like we have the energy or the motivation, Lord, we pray that you would come and make us different. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just be good hearers of your word. We would be good doers of your word. Lord, come and meet us now. We're expecting of you. Amen. All right, so my wife and I, we are uh, John Gottman fans. Have y'all ever heard of the Gottmans? They, they kind of do a lot of stuff with, with marriage counseling, and they kind of have this thing called the Love Lab, where they basically, it, it's kind of funny when you hear it, uh, but basically they have this lab where they uh, watch couples argue and watch couples interact with each other, and they write down things that either contribute to a marriage or hinder a marriage. And in the book, Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work, John Gottman says that there is hardly any more powerful way to show your spouse love than by being there for them when they are upset. Check out this quote from the book. It says this, I cannot emphasize enough how beneficial it will be to your relationship to give your partner the gift of being there when he or she is upset. After years of studying couples in the lab, and working with them directly, it has become clear to me that happy couples live by the credo, when you are in pain, the world stops, and I listen. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that a beautiful thing? I know so often in marriage and in relationships and friendships, don't we look at the opposite? Don't we live the opposite when you are in pain? you know, oh, I'm so sorry, but don't bother me. I'm in pain too. Or we, or we aren't attuned and we aren't listening, but God is not like that. Our God is not like that. If I could remix this for the Bible, uh, here's, here's my quote. The Bible is clear that God in his relationship with you lives by the credo, when you are in pain, the world stops and I listens. This is how compassionate your God is. This is how intentional your God is. This is how merciful your God is. And so that's the whole point for our time this morning. When you are in pain, the world stops and God listens. When you are in pain, the world stops and God listens. North African church father Augustine of Hippo said, For your goodness, he's talking to God, for your goodness is almighty. You take good care of each of us as if you had no others in your care. And you look after all as you look after each. Isn't this beautiful? This is one of my favorite quotes in the book Confessions. God cares for you as if there weren't seven billion other people on planet Earth. Isn't that amazing? Every once in a while I'll stop and think about that and be like, God, I'm really not the only person in this world you're taking care of and you spend all this time on me. And then he cares for the whole with the same intentionality that he cares for an individual. God's love is powerful and multifaceted. But aren't we tempted to believe in our moments of pain and struggling that the world keeps going and God doesn't care? That God actually doesn't see me, he actually doesn't hear me, my prayers are falling on deaf ears. Y'all, I realize the time of year it is, it's the end of the spring. You know, even, you know I, I go pretty, my life is influenced very much by the college calendar, but also y'all's lives are too. At the end of the spring, you feel fatigued. You feel tired. Is anybody tired in here? 
Y'all know y'all feel tired. Y'all are overwhelmed. Some of y'all are coming up on graduation. You're like, I got to finish these final papers or uh, for, for certifications. Many of y'all can't wait for summer break. You know, if you, if you have kids, you know, you, you got to wait a little longer until June, right? <laughs> we're, we're, we're pressing through with you. But when, 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 when we're in seasons where we are tired, where we are overwhelmed, and some of us may be in situations like Hagar where we are staring death in the face, where we are literally physically in dire situations, we need to remember that God has not forgotten about us. God has not forgotten about us in spite of what it feels like. So I want to look at four things that God does when he listens. Four things that God does when we listen, when we cry out to him. Are y'all with me? All right, first thing is that when God listens, he will give insight. When God listens, he will give insight. All right, I'm going to speed up a little bit, so y'all stay with me. So remember, Abram and Sarai, they're from Mesopotamia, and God called Abram. He said, hey, I want you to follow me. I'm going to take you to a place. I'm not going to tell you where it is. Just keep walking until I tell you to stop. Leave everything that you have. And so they walk, 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 and they end up settling in what we know as the promised land or Canaan. And God gives them these great promises that they would have offspring. And so, uh, like I said, in our text this morning, they decide that they're going to, quote unquote, help God out. When is it ever a good idea to try and, quote, help God out? But Sarai has an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. And uh, Sarai comes up with a plan for Hagar to have the promised child on her behalf. This was common custom back in the day to kind of have one of your servants be a surrogate mother in in, in the midst of of the inability to have a child. And so Sarai goes to Abram with this plan. Abram agrees, and they uh, come together. Hagar kind of becomes like a a, a second wife, but not in the same status as Sarai, kind of like a a concubine. Uh, And she becomes pregnant by Abram. Now, Check out what happens. When Hagar gets pregnant, she starts to act brand new. She thinks she's all that in a bag of chips. She starts to look, the Bible says, look with contempt on Sarai. Essentially, she starts to think she's better than Sarai. She doesn't want to listen to Sarai anymore. And so uh, Sarai gets furious and she blames her husband uh, and, and, and then uh, Abram low-key encourages his furious wife to do whatever she wants with Hagar. That's problematic, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, and then Sarai starts to treat Hagar harshly as a matter of revenge. Y'all, everything is wrong with this situation. This is a messy situation. Uh, When we read this, we feel like we're on the Real Housewives of Palestine or we're on the MTV's Real World Oaks of Mamre, right? It is messy. So pregnant Hagar, she's tired of the abuse and she runs away by herself. She starts journeying westward towards Egypt. She's in danger of thirst, in danger of hunger, in danger of wild animals and wolves and robbers. And she is pregnant. She is in a desperate situation, and she is in so much pain to the point that her pain is audible. She starts to cry out to God, but God meets her in her pain. 
He sends an angel to her, and the angel finds her uh, by a, a body of water, and the angel asks her, where have you come from, and where are you going? But you see, even though the angel asked her that question, the angel already knew the answer to that question. You see, when God asks you where you are, it's not because he wants to know where you are, it's because he wants you to know where you are. Hagar gave a matter-of-fact answer. I'm running away from Sarai. Uh, Presumably, she left Egypt with Abram and Sarai in chapter 12, when Abram and Sarai were in Egypt, and they left with, with, with a lot of servants and a lot of wealth. And I'm guessing, the, the, you know, the text doesn't tell us this, but I'm guessing she's going back to Egypt. Uh, and this is actually a common theme in the Bible. When things get tough, let's go back to Egypt. But there's something deeper happening here than just running away from Sarai. She was leaving God's chosen family. She just couldn't put up with the mess. She was running away from God's family and thereby God himself, but God pursued her and found her. Can y'all relate to this? Even though you're with God's chosen family, sometimes you're like, I just can't put up with the mess, right? And we start to run away. And maybe we have real situations where we're hurt and we start to run away from God. We start to run away from our church community. We start to isolate. Right? Sometimes we're in so much pain uh, from a situation where our backs are against the wall that we have audible groans, that we are physically in pain. You're running away from God because the place that he has you or the place where you find yourself in is too messy. And God wants you to stop, look around you, and be honest where you are deep inside yourself. And here's the thing, God is pursuing you in the midst of this situation. Wherever you're at in your situations, God is pursuing you, and he sees you. And this morning, God is asking you the question, where are you coming from, and where are you going? Where are you coming from, and where are you going, family? Second thing, when God listens, he gives instructions. When God listens, he gives instructions. And we see this in verse 9. So then the angel starts giving Hagar instructions about where she's coming from and where she is going. He's like, let me tell you. And so first he tells her to return to Sarai, her harsh mistress. Uh, And then the angel tells her to submit and to play her role in the family. She's not supposed to be a part of the family as um, she, she, she's supposed to be part of the family as a surrogate wife, not the, 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 the head, and she's supposed to be part of the family as the employee and not the boss. The angel was hoping to restore harmony among God's people. In the way, a piece of this, I hope he was doing a lot of other things back home because Abram and Sarai were tripping too. But Hagar, one of the things is that Hagar needed to submit to Sarai, the one who was in authority over her. And here's the thing, y'all. If I'm being honest, this is a really difficult passage for so many reasons. It's like, wait, hold up, God. You're telling Hagar, even though she was abused and being treated harshly, to go back and submit to Sarai? What is going on here? And so first I should say that our American imagination should pause here. Um, 
Sarai isn't the white mistress with her black slave. Uh, that, that's our American imagination being imprinted onto the text. This is an uh, Afro-Asiatic area of the world. Um, it's very different than where we are. And then second, uh, we want to cringe at the suggestion that Hagar had anything to do with her predicament. At least I do in my heart. You know, you, you know what I really wish God had said to Hagar? I wish he said, more power to you, sis. You should have left that crazy situation. <laughs> let's, let's set up camp here in the desert and we're going to be good, right? <laughs> That's what I wish he said. And I'm sympathetic to womanist theologians here like Dr. Dolores Williams as they wrestle with this passage. Uh, but God is actually calling Hagar to repent of her uh, messiness in the situation. This is tough. And on top of that, I don't have all the time to explore the difficulties related to ancient Near Eastern slavery, uh, abuse of authority, polygamy, etc. But we can assume that in this situation, God in his goodness and his wisdom is calling all parties to get back in line with his word and his goodness. And we can, we, we, like I said, we can assume Abram and Sarai have a lot of work to do here in getting back in alignment with God's promise and his will. He is instructing Hagar into flourishing. And isn't this tough? I know for me, when I'm in a tough situation, I don't want instructions. Have any of y'all ever been in a situation and you're like, yeah, I just, I mean, may, maybe. Um, there are some times, where, actually, you know, I, there are some times where I just need some instruction, like somebody tell me what to do. Uh, but oftentimes we just want someone to come in and just, you know, just sit with us and cry with us and weep with us. And we kind of, you know, cringe at instructions and we don't like telling people, uh, people uh, having people tell us what to do in our pain. But here's the thing, because God is God, whenever he tells us what to do in our situations, it gives life. He leads us out of our situations and into flourishing. God, when he comes to us in our situations, he gives us his beautiful life-giving, healing, comforting words. Maybe you can relate to Hagar. Can you imagine the amount of trust it would have taken from Hagar to actually obey God? Like, she would have been like, wait, 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 hold, hold, hold. what are you telling me to do, God? For real, God? You want me to do that? Maybe some of us are in situations here where we look at God's word and, 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 and people who know God's word are counseling us and instructing us in really tough situations. And you have come to be convinced that God is telling you to do something that is really, really hard. You're like, for real, God, really, this is what I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to go back to that messy situation and, and live for you in that? I'm supposed to press deeper into this hard situation with you, all I want to do is run away. I imagine Hagar might have been thinking, I'm running away and never going back. But God is saying, you came from the family of promise, and now you're going back to the family of promise. And even though it's messy, I want you there. In the midst of our pain, it could be that God, on top of seeing us and pursuing us, is calling us to repent to change. Thirdly, when God listens, he gives illumination. When God listens, he gives us illumination. And we see this in verses 10 through 12. Uh, so the angel starts to give her illumination. Illumination means to give light. He starts to shed light on who she is to God. 
First thing, he starts to tell her how precious she is to God. He starts to give her beautiful promises. He says, I will give you more descendants than you can count, and I will bless you because of your connection to God's chosen family. And what's crazy is Hagar wasn't even a recipient of the promise that Abram and Sarai had. She almost gets a secondhand blessing. God's bountiful generosity overflows into Hagar's situation. She was just blessed by association. Look at how good God is. How much more will God be generous to you who are direct recipients of his promises in Christ? And then also he tells her, your son's name will be Ishmael. It means God is listening. The angel says, look, I want you, whenever you look at your son, whenever you look at your baby boy, I want you to remember that God listens to you, that God loves you, that God is, is, is attentive to your pain. Looking at her son would be a reminder of who God is. Family, could it be that right here, right now, as you're running away from God because of your pain, that God is reminding you of how precious you are to him? that God is reminding you of how much he loves you, how dear you are to him, that you are his treasured possession, that his blessings are for you in Christ? Could it be that he wants you to know deep inside of your being that he is listening to you even when it doesn't feel like it? Could it be that the Holy Spirit wants you to experience this truth uh, 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 on fire in your heart? But here's also the thing. God gives even more illumination. I believe what's happening here is that God is also giving illumination on her character flaws. So th this passage is actually funny in, the, in like the, the quoted section you'll see in verses 11 through 12. You know, he starts off with all these beautiful blessings, and then in verse 12, he's like, uh, hey, by the way, your son will be a wild donkey of a man. And you're like, well, what's going on here? blessing me and telling me my son's name will be a reminder of your goodness, and then he'll be, he'll be a wild. What is happening here? And I think what's going on is that he's highlighting uh, that in the same way that she was um, set her hand against her family, that Ishmael will do the same thing. That in other words, he will repeat the pattern of Hagar. And we see this fulfilled in Genesis chapter 21, verse 9. So basically, the, in, in, in a few chapters forward, in, in chapter 21, the promised son comes, Isaac is born, and there's a weaning party. Basically, maybe like one or two, I would guess. And there at Isaac's party, Ishmael is laughing and cracking jokes and with, with contempt against Isaac. And Paul tells us in Galatians 4.29 that Ishmael, who was born according to the flesh, was persecuting Isaac who was born according to the Spirit. And so, in other words, Ishmael is repeating the same thing, the same way that Hagar looked at contempt with Sarai, Ishmael looked at contempt with Isaac. And Sarai was like, all right, this is it. She's got to go. You know, and then Abram's like, okay, all right. She, let's, okay. He, he goes along with the plan. And we see that even though she leaves, God cares for her, God blesses her, and God, God looks after her. But could it be that just like Hagar, God is wanting us to see our sin for what it really is? He wants us to see the ways that our sin is affecting those around us. We, we oftentimes think our sin is just personal, it's just private, but our sin always takes something away from other people. 
it always rubs off and influences other people, especially our children who grow up in our household and watch us. You know, I watch my kids do things and say things and have a certain type of way, and, 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 you know, and I'll tell them to stop, and I'm like, you know what? When I tell them to stop, I got to stop too because they're learning that from me. Could it be that God is calling us in the midst of our pain to see the ways that we must repent and walk into wholeness along with seeing how precious and how valuable and how special we are to him. We can't let opportunities of testing and trial go to waste. These are times where God wants to sanctify us. He wants to stretch us and grow us. He wants to polish us. He wants to chip off the, the edges, and he wants to make us more beautiful and more, and, and, and more glorious as his workmanship. But lastly, when God listens, he will give inspiration. When God listens, he will give inspiration. And so the angel gives inspiration. There were many times in the Bible where a person names a place after God or a thing after God, but this is the only time in the Bible where a person gives a name directly to God. Uh, in verse 13, there, there are several different options for translation, but she calls God El-Rohi, which means the God who sees. She calls him the God who sees. And here's the thing, family. When you don't see him, he sees you. And when you don't hear him, he hears you. Again, North African church father Augustine of Hippo, he says, for your goodness is, is almighty. You take good care of each of us as if you had no others in your care. And you look after all as you look after each. And I think that's what's happening here. Hagar is realizing this in her moment of inspiration. She's like, God's love is amazing. And in, in, in her inspiration, she is blown away. She can't believe what just happened. She says, have I really seen the one who sees me? She couldn't believe that God not only sees her, but also God gave her the privilege of seeing him. Family, right here, right now, in your situation, in your pain, in your desperation, God not only wants you to know he sees you, but he wants you to see him more clearly and more vividly. So family, what do we do with this? As we are together as a church, we ought to be a uh, together in visibility. What does that mean, together in visibility? We ought to be the, 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 the type of church, the, the type of people who, when we're in pain, we don't isolate, we don't run away from God. We say, God, here is all of who I am. God, here is all of where I'm at. God, here is my pain, and we need to cry out to him in desperation. Say, God, I know you are the one who sees me. I need you to see me. I need you to come and bless me, instruct me, give me illumination, give me inspiration. But not only that, that spills over in how we relate to each other. That I know so often, you know, when, when, when I'm doing campus ministry, you know, I, like a student will go ghost. They came to Bible study every semester of the fall, and then the spring, you know, we, we don't see them at all, and then, you know, I'm pursuing them and say, hey, what's going on? And I just realize that they are hurting, that they are struggling. And so often what we do when we're hurting and we're struggling is that we run away from God's people. We run away from other people who can help us and pour into us. That when, when, when we're hurting, we say, I don't want to be seen. I want to hide. 
And what, what would it be like if the fact that God sees us so, so radically transformed us that we say, you know what, I'm going to be the type of people, uh, the type of person who sees others and is willing to be seen by others? What would it be like to grow in being a community where we move towards each other in compassion and mercy, where we say to each other, when you're in pain, the world stops and I listen. And why should we do this? Why should we do all of this? Because when you are in pain, the world stops and God listens. So what is, what is a practical way we can live this out? How can we start? I think that this looks like developing a prayer life where screaming, weeping, and groaning are normative. What, what would that look like if, if during prayer times, weeping, screaming, groaning, crying out, loud prayers? And if we do this, we are just like our Lord. We're just like Jesus when he was a human. This is how he prayed. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 5, 7, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. Jesus knew what it was like to face death over and over again. And he also knew what it was like to cry out to his father who saw him. But you might be thinking, you know what? God will never come to me that way. Not me. Maybe for somebody else, God will do it. Definitely not me. I've, I've, I've sinned too much. I've ran too far away. I'm too far deep into this situation. I've developed such a habit from isolating and hiding that I don't really know if this is for me. God, you might be thinking, God doesn't listen to me. But here's the thing. God is listening to you, and he sees you, Christian. And let me tell you how I know. You see, we have every confidence that God will see us because God turned his eyes away from his son Jesus's pain on the cross so that he might be able to turn his eyes towards you in your pain. We have every confidence that God will see us and hear us. How do I know? We have every confidence that he will listen. God turned his ears away from Jesus' cries on the cross so that he might be able to turn his ear towards your cries. Jesus has secured the eyes and the ears of God toward you, Christian. And also, what's, what's cool, you know, oftentimes when we read the Bible stories, we're like, you know what, that would be awesome if that happened to me. If an angel came, all, like, all I would need, we might be thinking, is an angel. If God can only send an angel. But here's the thing, we have it better than Hagar. We have it much better than her. You see, God appeared to her through an angel, but God has appeared to you in Jesus. We have it better than Hagar. She encountered God through a servant, but we encounter God through the Son, through his only begotten Son. You see, we have it better than Hagar. The angel came with a word, but the word himself has come to you. He doesn't bring a message. He himself is the message. You see, we have it better than Hagar. You see, the angel was with Hagar, but Jesus is in us through his Spirit. He is so near to you. He has made his home with you and abides with you, Christian. In your pain, Jesus says, I'm going to set up camp and live here with you. And I'm going to listen and I'm going to see you. 
And this ought to shape, this glorious truth ought to shape our community life together. To, that we are seen by God. And that we ought to see and be seen by each other. When Jesus was in pain, the world stopped and God turned away. So that when you are in pain, the world will stop and God will listen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for the blessing of being near to us when we are in desperate situations. God, we know that you have given us your presence. You will bless us and be true to your promises even when it doesn't seem like it and it doesn't feel like it. Lord, you hear our prayers. Lord, you see us and you are with us. You, are, you dwell among us and in us. Lord, I pray that in the midst of the messes that we, that, that we make, just like Abram and Sarai, in the ways that we try to take your promises and we try to uh, take your blessings into our own hands and we operate by the flesh, Lord, I pray that you would come to us and give us a word of repentance. You would give us a word of inspiration and illumination, that you would give us insight into where we are, where we have come from, and where we are going. Lord, I pray that we would see you in all of your beauty and your glory, even in the midst of really tough situations. Lord, I pray that you would continue to make, um, knit us together, knit us together in visibility, that we might see each other and love each other. Lord, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.